You're listening to episode 80 of the Combinate podcast with Derek Duncan, who's the VP of product management at Lighthouse Instruments. If you've been enjoying the show, please give it five stars and hit the subscribe button on Spotify, Apple, or whatever platform you're using. Now, in terms of this episode, I actually ended up splitting it into two parts because the topic was on the denser side. In this first episode, Derek sets the scene by walking through the differences between CCI and sterility testing. He describes how to distinguish between deterministic and probabilistic CCI test methods. He walks through the nine most common CCI methods in about 10 minutes. He talks about the differences between CCI and permeation that most containers have and some of the Annex 1 and USP expectations. In the next episode, which will probably come out in the next few weeks, Derek continues by walking through the holistic approach, which is risk-based, and dives deeper into the USP 1207 and Annex 1 requirements for container closure integrity. I hope you enjoy this episode with Derek. He definitely brought the details. Now on to the show. Hello, Combi Nation. Our industry feels complicated sometimes. Drugs, devices, clinical trials, submissions, sterilization, validation, design control, risk management, market access, reimbursement. The list goes on. My name is Subi Sadeh. I've spent over a decade in medical device, pharma, and combination product development. My goal is mastery, so this podcast is to ask questions I have to people who may have the answers. Each week on the Combinate Podcast, I talk to someone about their area to further understand and simplify. Whether you're a pharma person trying to understand the next wave of products, or a device person trying to navigate a pharma system you're unfamiliar with, or a newbie in both areas, I invite you to listen, and together we can simplify by combinating. In fact, we introduced that into the pharmaceutical industry with some help from funding from the FDA a little more than 20 years ago. The company was actually started by some graduate school friends of mine, and we did our work in laser spectroscopy of atoms and molecules, and that's actually the basis of our headspace systems. And when we introduced this into the industry, we had no idea there would be so many applications to this measurement technique. And one of the applications is measuring or determining container closure integrity of sterile vials. So or sterile containers actually, or any kind of a sealed container, because you get a range of gases through, through a leak. In, in some of the test methods, I'd like, I'd like you to kind of walk through some of the different tests for CCI, but before that, maybe can you talk about the difference between deterministic and probabilistic methods? Right. Yeah. So those terms were actually defined originally in USP 1207, which is a USP chapter on package integrity, testing of sterile products. And in that chapter, which is a very good chapter, by the way, Mm -hmm. it's about 50 pages long. The original chapter was about two pages, I think. So when they revised it in, and implemented it in 2016, it was quite a big revision. And deterministic methods, well, let's start with the probabilistic methods because the current, I would say, legacy methods that are used, microbial ingress testing, blue dye ingress testing, are considered to be probabilistic methods because actually getting a measurement on those depends on a series of probabilistic events. So a container could be open or have a leak, 
but it doesn't necessarily mean that a microorganism will actually get inside in a, in a microbial ingress test. That depends on several factors. So what the USP 1207 recommended is if possible, use deterministic methods, which are actual physical measurements of some physio, either physiochemical measurement, which actually shows and is a physical integrity test and, and shows whether or not the container is closed or not, but with a determinate in a deterministic, deterministic way and with an analytical measurement. So those are, that's the definition of deterministic probabilistic. And there's a list of technologies under each of those categories in USP 1207. You mentioned diingress and microbial ingress for probabilistic, any others? There's a bubble emission test and there are some variations of tracer gas tests, which are also probabilistic. So I think those are more or less the top probabilistic methods that are, that are mentioned in, in 1207. Yeah. Where does a helium leak test fit in? Yeah. So that's listed as a deterministic method. So mass spectrometry. That's the actual physical measurement that you make with he a helium leak test. What's different with helium leak with some of the other methods that are mentioned is that helium leak is a destructive method. I mean, you have to destroy the sample or, or set up the sample in such a way that it's not usable after the test. Whereas most of the other deterministic methods are what they call non-destructive methods and can actually be used and, and have no effect on the sample. And so a lot of those methods are sometimes used in a hundred percent batch inspection because they're non-destructive. And then, and then, so for, for the deterministic beyond HLT, what else is there? Right. So obviously you have the, the headspace methods, you have something like vacuum decay has been a historically a very popular deterministic method. And then you have high voltage leak detection, HVLD is another one. And then the laser-based headspace. Those are probably the main deterministic methods that are, that are being used today. Understood. And so you, you were talking a bit about the, the use in production hundred percent. I think there's a difference between how, uh, the validity we'll say of a method for use in production and what a leak means there versus something yeah. that's done in something like a, a QC lab. Can you describe that difference? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. And mass extraction is, is another missing method. I should mention that one. Okay. So hundred percent in QC. So in QC, obviously you, you are talking about formal QC methods, which are validated to a very specific sensitivity. The hundred percent leak detection inspection processes that are implemented are typically filed as in process controls. So they're not filed as a batch release. So the trade-off when you do hundred percent leak detection is that you typically lose sensitivity because you're trying to do the inspection at a high rate of speed, at high throughput. And so with high throughput, then you sacrifice some sensitivity. And typically, yes, I think people always ask, is 100% inspection required for certain products or in certain cases, do the regulations require that? In the US, that is not the case. In the EU, and, and this is in the Annex 1, 100% Leak detection is required for a certain type of container, and that's containers that are closed by fusion. So here mm -hmm. you talk about ampules, blow fuel seal containers, as well as bags. And that's the one big difference in the container closure regulations between the U.S. and the EU. And I think the EU decided to put in this requirement because they feel there is an inherent risk in the sealing process when you are doing it by fusion. 
So for example, an ampule that's flame sealed at the tip, that's a very hard process to control a hundred percent. You always have some level of pinhole defects when you run that process for, for large numbers of samples. In terms of the, cause I'm thinking flexible bags in particular, and I know that I've seen the hundred percent vacuum or pressure yep. decay, right? Both yep. those, both are used hundred percent. Those are used for that. Yep. Yep. No, you can't, you can't apply pressure or vacuum a bag, right? It'll explode. No, you, you can, you can. you can. I think, I think most of the time it's vacuum decay. So a bag is put into a chamber and a vacuum is pulled in that chamber. And if there's any leak in the bag, then you get gas coming out of that leak into the vacuum chamber and you lose your vacuum. So that you yeah. vacuum decay. That's really cool. So when, when you talk about the, the validation, what are the approaches for a production method versus a hundred percent? Yeah. You mentioned yeah. sensitivity. Right. So in a inspection process, you have a large automated machine, which then you need to qualify. So this is a kind of a machine qualification approach. And you want to make sure that whatever parameter you're using as the leak detection parameter that that machine can reliably and robustly make that measurement to a certain level and a certain degree of sensitivity. And then on top of that, if you want to relate that back to an actual CCI defect sensitivity, then you need to do a method development or method validation. And typically here, at least we typically work with laser drilled controls. These are containers where a defect of a certain size is laser drilled into the container. So for example, a five micron hole is laser drilled into a container, and then you would run your machine at the production speed you want to run on and, and, and demonstrate that you actually detect all of these positive controls coming through the machine. I mean, it's a very similar approach that you would use for method development and method validation in a QC lab for a, let's say container closure integrity test. You again, develop your method use positive controls to give an indication of what kind of defects you're able to see. And, and also gives an indication of what the sensitivity of the method is and then run and, a validation study to prove and demonstrate that. And so you end up with a limited, a limit of detection. Correct. And is that, is that for both or for the, are there any cases where you, where you get an LOQ for, for, uh, um, yeah, I mean, you, the hole you is can, open, right? Yeah. So I imagine yeah, it's right. Right. So, so I think in, 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 in a QC method, you can, you can tip, you can tip, typically try and do both in, in a machine inspection method, you're, you're basically defining your, your vials as accepts or rejects. So it's kind of a yes, no answer according to a certain measurement that you're making, but typically you would have an accept lane and then a reject lane for anything that is measuring above a certain specification. Okay. So, so it's essentially the, the same approach. You just take it a little bit further with the QC test. Yeah. Yes. And, and in production, you, you have the whole machine qualification that you need to do. It's, a, it's an automated machine and you want to make sure that that machine runs properly. Now I kind of want you to go through each of each of the methods, like maybe 30 seconds, each super high level. Yeah. Uh, can we start with microbial ingress? Sure. So, and, and let me put it in this way. So microbial ingress was typically the method used years, years ago, and people kind of intuitively, it, it was a microbiology method. And typically people say, I just want to see if microorganisms can get into the container. 
I know I have been told directly by the regulators that they really don't like this method because, well, number one, it's probabilistic. Number two, it can be unreliable. And number three, it, it takes a long time. I mean, you have to incubate your samples. You don't know the results until a few weeks later. So, so the regulators really, really don't like that method. The other legacy method, which people kind of evolved to was the blue dye ingress test, where you put samples into a blue dye bath. Again, here, the regulators recommend to go to other methods, mainly because it's very difficult to validate that method for detection of a critical leak. So the sensitivity of that method is limited and Many people implement a version of the method where the detection is done by human operators trying to detect a color change in the test. And obviously you don't want human subjectivity as part of your test. So that's kind of pushed the evolution to the deterministic methods. And I think this, the new EU GMP Annex 1 will accelerate that evolution. You mentioned bubble emission as well under probabilistic? Yes. Uh, what yeah. is that? Is that the oh, underwater correct. light test? Correct. That's right. Oh, can you, can you describe it? Yeah. So for example, I think this is one of the ones actually that's used with, with, with flexible bags. Right. For example, you, you, you put it in a plate filled with water. You have a mesh screen or plate that you can, let's say, put pressure onto the bag while it's under the water and you try and detect the bubbles coming out of it through a leak. It is a visual detection. I. I think if you do this test really well, I mean, you, you can detect leaks with it, but it does rely on that visual detection. And in the new <clears throat> EU Annex 1, there is actually a sentence or phrase which specifically visual inspection alone is not considered to be an acceptable integrity test. So I think people who are using this method for product going into the, into the EU are going to need to change to another method if it's only visual detection that they're doing for their integrity test. Got it. And now moving to deterministic HLT. Helium leak test. So that involves filling a container with, with helium and then putting a pressure differential across the container so that helium gas escapes out of the container through a leak. And that gas is then put into a mass spectrometer for measurements. Then you can easily detect the different gas molecules coming out and pinpoint the helium molecules. It's obviously a destructive test. It, it takes some amount of work and obviously helium, you need a helium supply. It's usually used very early on in the development process because it's quite sensitive. It's, it's, it's probably the most sensitive leak detection method out there. Although very recently there has been work, which will be presented in two weeks actually, that there are headspace approaches that show a correlation of headspace to the helium sensitivity level. So it looks like you can also use headspace and be as sensitive to, to helium leak and headspace is a non-destructive method, which has its advantages. Okay. Let's, let's go through headspace. Yeah. So headspace is based on a, a gas measurement in the headspace with, with a laser spectroscopy measurement. So laser light is shown through the headspace and depending on how that light is absorbed, you can quantify the gas molecules in the headspace, like what gas is there and how much. And you can apply this for container closure testing because when you have a leak in a sealed container, you get gas exchange between the inside and the outside environments, and that can be measured with headspace. And it's very sensitive and it's very rapid and non-destructive. And then you have different gases that it can be done on? 
Right. So typically the, the headspace measurements that are made are either an auction measurement. You can also use headspace to make a direct measurement of pressure or vacuum. So for containers that are sealed under vacuum, you can actually measure if that vacuum is still there. You can also measure CO2. And there are methods that have been developed and validated where you actually very similar to blue dye, instead of putting your samples into a blue dye bath, you put your samples into a bath of gas. You put it into a vessel, seal the vessel, backfill it with CO2. So you're in a CO2 bath. And then you pull them out afterwards to see if any CO2 molecules have ingressed into that container. Very sensitive method, very intuitive, like the blue dye test, but, but better. You can validate it quantitatively and you make an analytical measurement. Uh -huh. Okay. And then the next one is pressure vacuum decay. Yeah. So we described that a little bit later, earlier, right. uh, putting a, a container into a, into a chamber and you either full pull vacuum or you overpressure it and then look for the decay of the vacuum in the chamber or the overpressure. And, and that tells you if, if the sample is leaking, it's, it's, I think it's the least sensitive of all the deterministic methods. And you sometimes have some issues with false positives, because if you have, for example, water vapor coming off the container, then that will also trigger a signal. HVLD. High voltage leak detection, you hear you use electrodes and, and put a voltage across the electrodes and scan the container. And if there is a leak defect in the container, number one, it has to be a container that contains a, a conductive formulation, because if there's a leak, then you will get a breakdown of the voltage and you'll get a current started through the leak or through the leak defect of the container. And that's how you pick up, pick up a leaking container. There's some. There are some worries that the, that the voltage could cause some degradation effects to certain formulations, but there are also some high voltage leak detection systems that aren't using high voltage, but a lower voltage, which is supposed to minimize that risk. And you said that the, uh, this one only works for certain products. Yeah, the product, the formulation, it, the container has to be filled with a conductive formulation. And so does that mean liquid? -based water, yeah. So it, it won't work on dry products indeed. And you want to have a liquid product and preferably a water-based product, which would be conductive. Yeah. And then I think the last one is mass extraction. Right. So here again, you have, it's a technique which uses vacuum. And if you put the sample into a chamber and, and pull vacuum, you'll get some amount of gas that gets extracted out of that, out of that container through the leak and it makes a, a mass extraction measurement. So all of those pressure vacuum decay, mass extraction, even headspace are dependent on gas molecules coming in and out of the container through a leak. Okay. So understood. I think with, with, with the last one, you kind of reminded me of MVTR. And so with, 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 with flexible bags, there's, there's the vapor transmission rate that happens with, with those types of containers where effectively they basically dry up, right? Yeah. Uh, what's the difference between that and a CCI leak? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And, and, and actually headspace is perfect to make those measurements because you can have a container that's sealed, but no container is fully tight forever. Over time, you always get some amount of gas permeation. I think probably a, a fused ampule is about the closest you can get to real tightness. But if you have a stoppered vial, for example, let's take that common example, 
even if you have a vial that does not have a container closure defect, over time, you will get gas that permeates through the rubber stopper into the vial. And really? You can actually use headspace to measure this. So as, a, as an example, we have followed freeze-dried vials over the shelf life, and we actually measured about 1% oxygen permeating into the vial over the shelf life of that Lyle product. So you don't have a closure defect, which is a sterility risk but you still get exchange of gas from the outside environment to the inside. Okay. So that's a, that's an interesting distinction there that I think, so you're, you're saying, you're saying a, a CCI breach is, is, is validated, let's say by a breach in sterility. Meaning if you have, if you have a gas flow in, like you mentioned the 1% oxygen, then that doesn't necessarily mean it lost CCI to the point where it would affect sterility. Is Correct. that what you mean? Correct. Yes. And, and we even put up plots of data where we have collected analytical measurements to show the difference between a permeation rate and a gas ingress rate due to a container closure defect. And so just as an example, if you have a, a five micron hole in a container that will ingress gas at a certain rate. And compared to permeation, that rate is orders of magnitude faster. So if you plot this in a graph, you can clearly see that the change in headspace is a lot, lot slower for permeation effects compared to a container closure breach, which would be a, let's say a mic microbial risk. And so in, in those cases, I mean, you, you mentioned IV bags, you would still do sterility testing at the end of the shelf life or how would you, how would you, how would you be? Yeah. So especially for polymer containers, this is a, this is an interesting phenomena because in polymer containers, obviously your permeation rate into the container will be higher than let's say a, a, a sealed glass vial. If you wanted to be, because you can also make a, a container closure test at the end of shelf life to prove maintenance of sterility. But if you're having this permeation going on, your question is how do you, yeah. Right. Distinguish between the two, right? Yeah. So again, it's detected, can, let's say it's detecting the gas that it's supposed to detect. You're just, you're saying that it's in such low limits that if you compare it to an actual leak, that's a, I think five micron is the smallest you yeah. can get, right? Of a laser yeah. drilled hole. For a laser right? drilled so, hole, yeah. So if you, if you compare that to five micron and it's orders of magnitude. So, so that's also, that's another question. So that's, and that's a very interesting question. But to just to finish off the, let's say the sterility test at the end of shelf life. So if you have a container that is permeating slowly enough so that it's orders of magnitude away from, let's say a five micron breach, then it's, you can easily demonstrate that a container closure test tells you whether that's maintained sterility. If you have a container, which is permeating a lot faster, then you might not be able to tell the difference between the permeation and a real breach of closure integrity at the end of shelf life. So then you really need to do a sterility test. So that's the way to look at it from a shelf life main, maintenance of sterility at the end of shelf life point of view to your question about, well, what, what kind of a defect is actually a microbial risk? There's a lot of discussion about this. I think a lot of people point to what they call the curse limit, which comes from a publication so that, that you don't get any microbial contamination for defects that have a size less than 0 0.2 microns. 
But that was obvious anyway, because that's the size of the smallest microorganism. So meaning it wasn't it's, meaning really it's reason. meaning it's meaning it's physically impossible. Right. Exactly. It's just physically impossible. That's why you have sterile filters that have pore sizes of 0.2 microns. I mean, that's basically all the experiment proved. But practically speaking, and from a risk point of view, the regulators are typically satisfied with validating a method to detect, let's say, down to 10 microns. And you don't see this in a regulation anywhere, but from a risk perspective, that's typically a sufficient argument, let's say, to say that you've, you've minimized the risk of microbial ingress in a container. Awesome. Where can people find you, Derek? You said you're yeah, going to be so, speaking soon, actually. What, what conference? Yeah. So I will, in two weeks, actually, we'll be at the PDA Parental Packaging Meeting in Venice. I'm co-chair of that conference. If you Google Lighthouse and webinars, you can often find a webinar. We have a few coming up. And people are always welcome to, to contact me through LinkedIn. So just message me there if you have some questions or, or would like to get in touch. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on this show, Derek. It's been awesome talking to you. All right. Thank you, Suey.